Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome back to the Women's Podcast. I'm Roisin Ingle and I hope you've enjoyed this four-day week. I love a four-day week and are looking forward to St. Patrick's Day uh, tomorrow on Friday. And of course, it's Mother's Day on Sunday. And we wanted to wish all our listeners who are mothers a happy Mother's Day. But we also know that it can be a difficult time for those who have lost their mothers or indeed for those women who have not had a particularly good relationship with their mother, which is sadly more common than we might think and still a bit of a taboo. So I just wanted to acknowledge that. But having said that, the issue of motherhood is something we return to often on this podcast for obvious reasons. So we thought it was timely to devote this episode to the joyful, complicated and often fraught experience of being a mother. There's such a juxtaposition between being a woman and being a mother and blending the two together. It's that whole tug and pull of loving being a mum absolutely loving it and then just feeling so overwhelmed and exhausted and desperately wanting time alone. That was our guest today, Geraldine Walsh. She's a freelance journalist who regular readers of the Irish Times will be very familiar with. She's a frequent contributor to the paper on health, particularly women's health, mental well-being and parenting. She once worked as a medical librarian in obstetrics, nursing and midwifery based in the Rotunda Hospital in Dublin. She has two young daughters and is extremely open about her struggles with postpartum depression and anxiety. And all of that led her to write a book called Unravelling Motherhood, which is her first non-fiction title. And she has just published it through Hatherley Press. Geraldine spoke to our co-producer, Aideen Finnegan, who is about to give birth to her second child in a short while, about a wide range of issues around motherhood, from postpartum anxiety to insta mums and the societal expectations on mothers. Aideen began by asking Geraldine about the structure of the book, which is not just a straightforward telling of her story, but very much involves the reader. Yeah, I think when I was trying to structure the idea for this book, it was very much important for me to include my own story with um, postnatal depression and anxiety because it did take over a huge part of my life and made me sort of rethink who I was and where I wanted to be in life. But hearing everybody's story, while that's extremely important, what I wanted to do was to encourage mothers to embrace themselves while hearing other people's stories and to, to feel validated and to be seen in the enormity 
of motherhood and the struggles that we do come across every single day. But the issue mostly is that we go through motherhood, we, we begin with this idea of what it's going to be like and we're knocked down because it just doesn't pan out this, that same way. And that was very much what happened to me. So I, with all of the anxieties that I experienced and all of the different um, elements that I went through in processing that anxiety and the, the depression, I unraveled certain aspects of my life. And while there are like a million different knots in motherhood, there were certain issues that I felt were universal to all of us. So within the book, I've included a certain number of elements like how we understand the cliches of motherhood, how we figure out what our triggers are, understanding that we are flawed human beings, um, going through our issues with control and boundaries, and then figuring out how can we actually stitch all of this up together um, and have a better understanding as to what we want out of life. Because there's such a juxtaposition between being a woman and being a mother and blending the two together. It's that whole tug and pull of loving being a mum, absolutely loving it, and then just feeling so overwhelmed and exhausted and desperately wanting time alone. Um, and then trying to, you know, not guilt ourselves into allowing ourselves feel that, you know, that we do need our own space for ourselves. I mean, Unraveling Motherhood is such a great title because we, we actually recently had the famous feminist Mona el on the podcast talking about menopause. And one of her essays on the topic talks about this period of unbecoming, mm. unbecoming the woman she'd been in her youth and perimenopausal years. And I find sort of striking echoes of that in your writing because this unraveling you speak about, well, what exactly do you mean by that? Uh, well, I personally felt like I was very, very much knotted. So I felt like the line of life that I wanted to go on was not working out the way I wanted to. And I kept tripping over these knots. And for me to um, feel like I was going in the right trajectory for my own life and for the life that I wanted for my kids and my family, I had to unknot all of them. And that essentially for me is an unraveling Um have uh, this massive image, like the imagery goes right through the book and I, I couldn't help myself but really, um, <laughs> really focus on that idea of unraveling all those different threads because there are so many different elements within our lives, let alone motherhood, that become so twisted and so complicated and knotted up. So if we unravel our individual ideas and experiences of what we go through, we can see a clearer vision of what we're of where we're headed. Now, that's not to say that we're not going to trip up and, and be knotted once again, because every different stage in motherhood creates different knots. So there's a constant unraveling within our lives, no matter where what stage we are within motherhood. What were the knots for you, Geraldine? What's your story? So I have a nine-year-old and a five-year-old, and I very much wanted to be a mother. When we decided to have our first baby. Um, I literally did not prepare for anything past the first few weeks. Um, I did actually. I didn't even prepare for birth. <laughs> I ended up having um, an emergency C-section after complications, and I didn't even prepare. I literally thought a C-section was never going to happen. Um, so I wasn't prepared for that. Um, and obviously, there was a birth trauma there that I was. Uh, I never processed. 
And when I became a mother, it was, I became a mother in a way I didn't expect. So I was very much um, conflicted with that maternal connection with my baby. Um, And I still say that it took up to a year for me to actually bond with her um, because I didn't feel a connection with myself as a mother, let alone a connection with my newborn. Now, I could mother her as best as I could, um, as anyone could. I, You know, nappy changes, sleep patterns, all of that was very intrinsic. It was, it was normal. Um, but balancing my idea of what I wanted to be as a mother and how I was going to be her mother was very conflicted. But I didn't realise this. So I didn't realise that I had mild postnatal depression on my first child. I didn't realise that I was very, very conflicted and confused in how I wanted to be a mother um, or how or what motherhood would mean to me or how it would even play out. So those first few years were were not what I expected. Um, you know, we, I was very much indebted with you know being in, eternally in love with my child, but not connected with that maternal idea. And then um, we decided to have a second baby. And when she came along, actually before she came along, I had um, a very complicated pregnancy. Um, uh, It was quite high risk. Um, I was, I suffered a a subchorionic hematoma at 10 weeks pregnant, um, which was a a bleed basically. Um, So I was unaware whether I was miscarrying whether she was okay, it was a very difficult experience. And at that those 10 weeks, I initially began my journey through anxiety. I didn't realise that I was suffering from anxiety until she was born. So right throughout my pregnancy, this bubble of anxiety started to sort of develop within me. Um, and a rage, essentially, um, because I was very, I felt very misunderstood. I felt very confused. I felt as though I had to hold my baby in for the entire uh, rest of the pregnancy. Oh, um, God. And I was not connecting my mental well-being with my pregnancy. So I was literally just going with the flow with all of these different emotions that were within me. Um, and it was, it was a very difficult experience, especially when I had a, you know, my, my eldest was three and a half at the time. And I've lived with a, a feeling that she took the brunt of all of my emotions. She was with me. So she took the burden. Um, and then when she was born, um, when my second daughter was born, um, I felt this incredible euphoria. Um, I've never experienced it before in my life. An enormous euphoria. It was it was probably a huge relief that she was born and she was healthy and and everything was okay. And I had uh, a C-section on her as well, which went better this the second time because I was more prepared for it and I was very comfortable with having a C-section at that stage. Um and it was 2 weeks after she was born. My husband had gone back to work and he was such a brilliant support. Um and of course that first day when you're on your own with your newborn is quite an unusual experience because you have a confidence about you, but you're also terrified. <laughs> um, and I remember going out with my sister and her kids and um, my little one, we, were, we went to a shop and, and she was running out of the shop and I felt like she was running out onto the road 
And I blew up. I absolutely, it was the first time I had experienced this really intense rage and anger. And But I was scared. I was really, really scared. But I took it out on her and, you know, gave out to her not to run away and watch the road and everything. And my sister just was quite shocked. And she was saying, Geraldine, that's that's quite unusual behavior for you. Um, and she had she we talked about it and she recognized that there were other instances that she felt was not me. Talked to my mum. My mum said the same thing. And I was very lucky in that the sense of two weeks postpartum that I actually went and got help. Um, now, the help didn't necessarily start until about three months after she was born when I started see, seeing a counsellor. Um, but the anxiety that I was experiencing was very much, it just took over my whole life. I couldn't, I couldn't go outside with the kids. I literally couldn't get them outside the front door. I couldn't mm. get myself outside the front door. Um, I couldn't make phone calls. I couldn't organize. I literally couldn't organize if there was a problem in the house to get a tradesman out. I couldn't. Um, I couldn't. What make did dinner. that feel like, Geraldine? Was that oh, because you was, felt like your chief concern was just the baby, and you couldn't handle the bandwidth of anything beyond that? Is that? Yeah. Is that, yeah. It was. It was partially. Um, I, I. I had so much on my. I felt like I had so much on my plate, and I could only focus on certain things. And I also felt um, there was a huge fear in being of the unknown and of being out of control. Um, so anything that I didn't have control over, I very much struggled to work with. And would you have ever had those feelings before, like no. pre-children? Mm, no, okay. no, I never did. That's 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 how I think it was very obvious to me that there was this was not normal. This was not my ordinary behavior, and mm-hmm. because of that, my my close friends and family recognized it in me as well. Um, so I think I was very lucky in that sense that I had that that, that connection with people to say, "Hold on, let's get you some help because this is not this is not you." But I didn't recognize that personally because I was so overwhelmed and I was so. <clears throat> So very much caught up in trying to protect myself and my children. Um, so it was a very difficult experience as a family um, because I know that my three and a half year old, she definitely got a, a huge brunt of the of the reactions that I had, as did my husband. Um, so the, the family dynamic was very much shifted. Uh, you know, this was meant to be a kind of revolution. This was we knew we wanted two children. We knew this was our family unit as a family of four, and it was very much upended with with the experience that I was going through. I think um, I was very um, conscious of the fact that I needed to unravel. So the more I went to, to see a counsellor and the more I actually did unravel with her, um, it was quite amazing because I hadn't been to a counsellor before that. So I wasn't prepared for what the experience might bring up. But I 100% credit that with a huge part of my recovery. But what thing, one thing that I essentially discovered within myself at that stage was that this anxiety, I knew, so I've named my anxiety my freaking flamingo. Um, I used to have a, a parenting blog and I used to talk about it an awful lot. I used to write an awful lot of articles about, you know, the freaking flamingo and it was great to disassociate my experiences from my myself so it wasn't necessarily that this is mammy no this is the flamingo the flamingo it's a reacting. really interesting uh, metaphor because we're sort of used to hearing 
you know, metaphors for depression, like the black dog or, yeah. you know, something like that. Like a flamingo, is, it, it evokes such a, a different image for me. How did you relate what you were going through to a flamingo? Well, it was actually named by someone on Twitter. <laughs> um, someone on Twitter. had actually... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I had because I, I was very open about my experience and I talked about it an awful lot on social media, um, which to some extent I do think helped. And in, in other um, scenarios, I do feel made me more vulnerable um, and made the whole experience more raw. But this person on Twitter, um, she named it the freaking flamingo because she could see the beauty and vibrancy in the experience of motherhood that I was experiencing. I couldn't see it. I literally wow. couldn't see it. Um, where she could, because while I was talking about postnatal depression and anxiety, I was talking about how much I loved my kids and, and the things I loved to do with them. So there was a balance there that I didn't recognize. And I was very much caught up in feeling as though I had to achieve and be and do. So while she saw this connection I was having with my kids, I felt I was pushing myself to force that connection. Um. And in some ways, I think I I was doing that because I wanted to prove to myself that I was OK. Um, when I definitely wasn't. <laughs> um, but. When I got to about. Devon at the stage, she was six months old. Um, and I had this kind of reawakening, like. Uh, a, a huge unraveling. It was like the biggest knot that I was experiencing loosened. And I knew I could see my future. I could see what life was going to be like in a few years time. What was that tipping point? I'm interested to know, Geraldine. So my husband and I, we do this thing where we give each other something significant for when our babies were born. Um, and when Devon was born, he got me a tattoo. Um, wow. Uh, yeah. Of a flamingo. <laughs> No, not of a <laughs> flamingo, actually, no. Uh, flamingos are actually quite important in our house now. Uh, I get gifts of flamingos all of the time because the imagery of the flamingo has shifted for me and it's now this beautiful uh, reawakening and purposeful strength and, and, and a, a, a unity that I've experienced as well with it all. So I get a lot of gifts of, of flamingos. Um, but it was a tattoo of uh, an owl. And on the owl, it has... The, uh, the, the the eyes of the owl are clocks and each clock is the time our children were born. Um, oh, wow, and the owl, that is incredible. Yeah, yeah it's beautiful. Um, I'll show you <laughs> while we're here. So had he designed yeah. this for you? And you No, know. I, I had, he knew I loved owls. So owls were um, essentially when <laughs> you're decorating your baby's room, uh, you'll know what that's like. <laughs> I had owls everywhere and um, they just were it was a theme I, I think it was common at the time or something but I just fell in love with owls and owls were literally all over my kids walls and there were little owl artworks and, and everything everywhere Um, so the owl was quite important to that beginning of motherhood for me and uh, the clock the, the idea of the clocks just it, it came to the two of us we were thinking of how else we could incorporate the kids into it um, so the, the clocks are basically the time of their um, births. And it was when I was getting that tattoo that I felt um, a, a shift in what I wanted to do and be. I kind of thought tattooing myself was like 
um, a kind of opening to being the person I truly am. Um, and I have tattoos all over my arm. My whole arm now is full of tattoos that basically showcase my entire uh, motherhood journey. So there's more tattoos that on there that, that express all, everything that I've been through. Um, around the same time then, I had decided as well that I wanted to quit my job. And I wanted to write for a living because that was always my dream. And I was I was at a stage in my life where it felt like it could happen. So I never thought that by having children, I would then have the job that I've always wanted. It was it was a parallel that always seemed um, juxtaposed that they didn't fit together. How am I going to incorporate these two, you know, the career of motherhood and the career of writing together? And amazingly, the, you know, the working from home just, it it just worked for us. <laughs> and so it was that idea of how are we going to get the kids to school and how are we going to manage after school care and everything else that comes with needing to be home with the kids. And it it just seemed like a no brainer. Um, and I said, well, look, let me try and my hand at the whole writing gig and see if I can do that. And the more I focused on it, the more I felt empowered to be the person that I was. I mean, I ended up shaving my head. I had a buzz cut for about three years. Um, I was I was quite a distinctive person with a, a shaved head and tattoos everywhere. <laughs> but it was very much a stripping down and adding on the elements that I needed for my own life while suffering with intense anxiety. That's such a powerful story, Geraldine, because, you know, the loss of identity is something that a lot of women go through after becoming mothers. Um, and you literally branded yourself, yeah. you know, you gave yourself an identity and it, it unlocked all of this for you, notwithstanding the fact that you were still having a hard time. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. In the book, you really dig into the cultural construct of motherhood because this informs our ideals and our expectations about how we will mother. So what did you find about that? I think from my own experience, I definitely did not think motherhood was or would be the way it ended up being. Um, I suppose I was rocked essentially with um, anxiety, but uh, and, 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 you know, that's not necessarily the norm to experience that. But uh, there was a lot of different issues that in motherhood that are not talked about or or weren't at the time, at least. Um, 
that just didn't relate to the ideas that we're supposed to live up to. Um, that whole maternal instinct or that breastfeeding comes easy or uh, that you're going to bond with your baby straight away, um, that you're going to know what you're doing, that you're going to, to actually trust your gut instinct because we we doubt ourselves left, right and centre. Um, all of those ideas that we had about motherhood just didn't add up. Um, as well as the overwhelm, the overload, the exhaustion, that mental load. Um, and I think that that conversation about the mental load is so important because we can't do it all, that we are so, so human and exhausted. <laughs> um, and I think that the idea of identity um, and cliches that were thrown in with motherhood are so complex that if we don't actually sit down and think, is this adding up to the idea I have of motherhood or the way I want to mother, we're going to be fighting against an ideal that may not exist and is extremely difficult to find um, and to match up to, making our lives so much harder. And I think that's that was definitely the purpose of Unraveling when I first started it, because I felt so conflicted with how motherhood should be. And I thought that there was no way out. I thought this is what it's supposed to be. I have to do this. I have to achieve and be this type of mother because this is what's expected of me. And that's just too hard against everything else that you're experiencing in life, trying to match an ideal is so damaging to our mental health. Where was it coming from for you, Geraldine? Was it from, you know, the media, from social media, from, you know, friends who you thought were doing it better than you? I think definitely social media played a huge part in my own experience. Um, but also the the the. Be- when you look back at, so when I look back at my own mother, I think that my mom's perfect. <laughs> I think my mom's absolutely wonderful. And it's it's only since I became a mother that I've been having these conversations with her about what motherhood was like for her growing up uh, or raising kids in the 80s in a recession. I would come home from school and there would be buns baked on the counter and we'd be, we'd ice them when we'd come home. She'd have... Um, movie night set up for us. There was always a connection with my family. It was very strong. We were we were that type of family that always laughed together, joked together and played games and went out for bike rides the weekends, that kind of thing. And I felt it was a picture, a picture perfect um, parenthood. Uh, so when I had first had my kids and I was thinking, well, Jesus, mom, dad, they did absolutely brilliant raising us like they did. They managed to balance everything. I did not. Obviously, as a kid, I didn't see everything else that my parents were doing and achieving all the time. And it's only since talking to her that I realized how hard it was for her um, and how much. So my mom um, and my mom has read my book and she would text me and she would say, oh, my God. I could have written this <laughs> because really wow yeah I mean I, I obviously you know from the 80s to now the difference in parenthood is 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 wild it's so different with social media and technology um, and screens and and the different attitudes and how children are seemingly so much older than 
they actually are. Um, so there's different challenges, but the challenges that my mum would have faced as well were very much embedded in those same ideas of needing to feel a level of control, of having to address her own boundaries um, and feeling lost in motherhood herself. Um, and when I look back at when I was pregnant of my first child and, and so excited about the fact that I was becoming a mother, a lot of my ideas and ideals and the, the kind of um, expectations of motherhood would have come from what I would have envisaged um, motherhood to be from my mum. And I think a lot of that would, it, it becomes ingrained in us as we were raised. So every, all of our life experiences, they all showcase um, an ideal for us that we will kind of expect or, or not an ideal, something that we will work away from. Um, so a lot of it will come from our past experiences, but we're also, it's threaded with a huge amount of social media expectations as well. Um, and that's very, very difficult to try to unravel those ideas because everybody seems so perfect on social media and everybody seems so, uh, so much better. <laughs> I know, so you know, the thing about me. social media as well, I feel is I get served a lot of mom content, which, you know, is great if it gives me a laugh, but it also kind of wrecks my head because I'm OK. Yes, here's this woman acknowledging that parenting is hard and it's really difficult to do X, Y and Z, but she has managed to battle whatever I'm battling script a little film, edit it, put yeah. it up on social media and get loads of likes and, you know, maybe monetize it for sponsorship or whatever. I'm like, you're doing fine. You're fine. I'm. Yeah. It's me that's failing. You know, so even when I know that social media isn't real, I can in invent a script for myself that makes me feel inadequate. Absolutely. And that's a huge problem, I think. And no matter how much we say, like you said, we you know that social media isn't real, but it's just... It just gets into your head. And the more we see it, the more we're, our, our brains are rewired to think this is the way it's supposed to be. I was just going to say, it was funny the other day, um, uh, I, I, was, I was chatting to Jen Hogan um, and <laughs> she said, uh, God, when I see your stories on, so on, on Instagram, I just feel like the same sort of thing. She's like, I feel so inadequate. And I'm like, Jen, I bake my scones from a pre-made mix. <laughs> you know, I'm not there making everything from scratch. Um, but I'm very conscious of the fact that what I do put up on social media as well, it only tells a very small bit of my story. So I don't necessarily share as much about anxiety. So I still have generalized anxiety disorder now today, um, but I still don't share a huge amount of that anymore. Um, there was a, a point in my life when I would share an awful lot of my anxiety journey. Um, and then over time, I sort of felt a little bit more vulnerable and raw in that experience and that I needed to step back and protect myself a little bit more. Um, and I'm very conscious of that when I am discussing mental health issues with anybody uh, as to what stage of their journey with um, with their mental health that they're at. Um, so when I'm, I'm sharing anything on social media, I'm very conscious of providing a bit of a balance. Um, for instance, Pancake Tuesday, I everybody's putting up their pancakes and I just threw a packet of pancakes on the counter for a, 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 re, um, a reel or something because I couldn't manage making pancakes on Pancake Tuesday this year. <laughs> there was no way I could do it. So yeah, it was shop-bought pancakes. But I think we have to recognize what we're capable of ingesting on social media. And it's very difficult because we're also living in a time of fear of missing out. So if there's someone that is showing us all of these amazing things that, they, that we can be doing, that we possibly should be doing or that there's an expectation that, that that's what motherhood is 
And if we stop following them, I know there's that feeling of, but maybe I might miss something. Your advice for sort of stitching yourself back up, which is the last uh, chapter at the end of your book, you actually recommend time away from social media, don't you? Mm. Yeah, massively. I've taken, I would take routine breaks from social media um, purely because one, it's too hard to manage <laughs> the the overload of actually having to be on on social media all the time to 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 be to show everything about your life. Um, it's too much. Um, so taking that break from social media, it, it cleanses your brain. It genuinely does. It 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 takes that little bit of a step back so that you can actually reevaluate what's actually important in your life. And what's important is not what's on a screen. It's the little feet that are standing right in front of you. Um, but, you know, we're living in a very difficult age with social media connection and how to balance the two. It's very difficult, especially if you have a baby and you're at home. And as you say, your your partner has yeah. gone back to work. Yeah. You're you're trapped. You're not trapped under a baby. What what do you do? You pick up your phone and you start scrolling. It, it's really difficult. So, Geraldine, in terms of the practical steps that people can take, that they can glean from this book that will help them on that journey to stitching themselves back up after unraveling, what what do you recommend? There's like there are so many different elements that we can actually achieve to to find a balance in our lives, um, and stitching up is 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 very unique to our own individual circumstances. So, yeah. So the last chapter of unraveling is is very much embedded in that idea of creating that pattern for yourself to understand what you need out of your own life, um, but by essentially ensuring that your needs are met. Um, whether it's your physical needs, um, your spiritual needs or, you know, your your connection needs uh, with friends and family. Um, and by addressing all of those sort of ideas of what you want out of life, we're able to um, kind of build our own pattern. So one thing I've, I feel like, and I say it in the last chapter, I feel like I promise a, a, a sort of pattern throughout the whole book um, that you can kind of work off of. But we're all individuals. We all have a different life, um, different scenarios that are going on. Um, so there is no pattern and that you are the one that has to write up this, these ideas for yourself. Um, and a lot of it will depends on on what you want and what you need and what your family needs so it's a matter of considering yourself so i think as mothers we tend to um one of the phrases i love is is we put our our needs aside so there our needs are dropped by the sideboard of lost intentions hmm. it is that idea of you know that corner of your kitchen where you put all the paperwork, you know, the bills come in, you just throw them down there. The kids artwork comes in, you put it down there. You, everything builds up. So it's the same concept that if we keep putting our needs to the side and they keep building up and building up, eventually they're all going to fall on the floor and then we hit burnout. So the point is, is to avoid doing that, is to put yourself not necessarily first, because first can be quite difficult, <laughs> but to recognize that you need to reassess your own needs and monitor them and fill your cup. So you need to make sure that you have enough brain power, mental strength, uh, physical strength, everything to 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 get through a feckin' day. <laughs> I mean, honestly, it's it's the overwhelm of motherhood is so intense 
and the mental load that we take on is so huge that it can feel like that idea of self-care is just not possible for us. Um, but when we kind of think about the idea of if we're able to look after ourselves and we're in the best form we can possibly be, then we're going to look after our kids better. We're going to be the person that we want to be. Um, and there's a there's a, a very huge kind of sway in how we live our lives when we are living authentically, when we are meeting our needs and we are addressing who we want to be. Um, now, like I think it sounds so wonderful. It sounds so easy, but it's not. I'm not saying that any of this is easy. It is so damn hard to actually recognize, first of all, what you need out of life or what you want. And then to implement it is even harder. We are living with so much guilt and the stigmatized idea of motherhood as well and the shame that comes with being sort of selfish <laughs> to, to, to give to ourselves. Um, we have this idea that self-care is selfish as a mother sometimes. Um, and that's shifting, thank God, because that's we need our self-care. We need our time for ourselves. Um, but I know with my own kids, building those boundaries with them, my ensuring that they know that mommy needs to be cared for as well, has changed a perspective uh, for them that I'm actually human, that I'm not, um, I'm not, <laughs> there's one thing my kids always say to me, um, because I've said to them a long, <laughs> for a long time, they ask me to do something and I'm in the middle of doing something and say, I can't right now. I'm not an octopus. And now <laughs> I hear my five-year-old saying it to her sister. <laughs> I can't. I'm not an octopus. <laughs> and it's it's great that they're recognizing that I can only achieve so much um, and that they will wait until I'm ready or that they will ask their dad or that they will do it themselves. Um, and, you know, those the ideas of building boundaries and, and monitoring and or managing our control um, and understanding our triggers and, and our finding our identity and understanding how flawed we are as human beings and as parents, it's it's really hard to try to comprehend and, and to come to terms with. Um, but it's vital. It's you you would do these things if you didn't have children, you would do these things for yourselves. So why stop when a kid comes along? Yeah, it's hard. Yes, you have less time. Yes, you have less energy. But the more we look after ourselves, the greater we are. And we do it for our kids. If we don't do it for ourselves, we do it for our kids. To show them, to give them good boundaries, to give them good ideas to how, for, how they need to look after themselves as they grow older. That they need to support themselves as well. Um, so it's a huge balancing act. Completely. Uh, I love that you got another animal metaphor in there towards the end as well, Geraldine. We have the, the flamingo, the owl and the octopus. It's a great <laughs> book. And thank you so much for sharing your story. Geraldine Walsh, thank you for joining us on the Women's Podcast today. Thank you so much. That was Geraldine Walsh there speaking to our co-producer Aideen Finnegan and the book is called Unraveling Motherhood. That's it from me. The podcast is produced by me, Roisin Ingle, by Aideen and also by Suzanne Brennan. And as always, JJ Vernon was on sound. Get in touch with us on social at IT Women's Podcast or by email thewomenspodcast at irishtimes.com. We love hearing what you think of the episodes or what you'd like us to cover in the future. So do get in touch. Mind yourselves, have a great weekend and I'll talk to you next time.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.